know what it is. It is a military Monday edition of the EP podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Austin Horton, and we are going to get right to it today because we have got so much to talk about and not a lot of time here on an afternoon, uh, a Monday afternoon. So let's get going. We got so much to talk about. The MJ docuseries took a, a finale. Uh, a couple episodes last night that jazz fans, it's tough to to see some of that stuff. We'll talk about it. Uh, the Major League Baseball rule proposals for how they plan to keep everybody safe during a COVID-19 pandemic and a return to baseball in July. Uh, the list is extensive. Talk about that. And also, it being a Military Monday, one of my favorite all-time military stories uh, I'll share a, an excerpt from uh, a military hero of mine uh, here on a Military Monday. So let's get going, though. As always, we start each and every episode off with a This Day in Sports History moment. May 18, 2004. I was just about a, a month away from, less than a month away from graduating high school, and this took place, and I remember it vividly. Diamondbacks pitcher Randy Johnson, at the ripe old age of 40, struck out 13 of the 27 batters he faced in a 2-0 victory over the Braves at Turner Field and, yes, completed a perfect game, making him the oldest pitcher at 40 years old to ever achieve perfection. So there you go. This day in sports history, May 18, Randy Johnson becomes the oldest pitcher to throw a perfect game in Major League Baseball history. All right, let's dive into the final two episodes that were uh, the Last Dance documentary or docu-series, whatever you'd like to call it, from the Michael Jordan machine. Uh, Episode 9, episode 10, we all knew how it was going to end. This is what I feared from the very uh, get-go of this docu-series, was having to live through and relive and re-watch these moments that just absolutely tore my little uh, 10, 11, 12-year-old heart out and and, and, uh, ruined my life. That stupid Michael Jordan into the Chicago Bulls. And one of the most beautiful, uh, amazing sports memories I have dashed to pieces twice, two years in a row, by a Michael Jordan-led Chicago Bulls team. Uh, And it was exactly everything I had feared it would be. It was really... And I'm just being open, honest, and candid here. I'm going to peel back the curtain on objectivity and, and throw some subjectivity your way. Uh, it was hard for me to get through some of this stuff in episodes 9 and 10 because there, that was my childhood, being just dashed and ripped to shreds and spat upon. The Jazz should have won at least one of those titles. Come on. Come on. It's not fair. It's not fair, I tell you. And so, yeah, it was hard to watch. Uh, but that stuff was not as difficult to watch as some of the uh, claims that were put forth, like... The, and I'm going to start right here with the the whole. I was and I told you a few episodes back. I was afraid they weren't going to show uh, the flu game and that whole situation because it was the previous season to the last dance season. It was the '97 finals, and this was supposed to be focusing on the '98 season. However, they did show it, and I should have known they would because they could use it in a way to build up Michael Jordan even higher than he already is and was. So, what they did was they went with the old food poisoning story. This tired, played-out story that I'm sure everybody has heard by now because Jordan's athletic trainer, Tim Grover, told, I believe, Barstool Sports several years ago that it wasn't the flu that Michael Jordan was battling. It was food poisoning. And the, the claims were, 
and they did this again in the docu series last night. The claims being that uh, it was late at night. Michael Jordan begot, got hungry. There was no room service left for the day, and so they called around and found one pizza shop in Salt Lake City that was open and would deliver. This is their claims, by the way. The knock on the door of the hotel room comes. Tim Grover says he's the one that answers it and sees five guys delivering the, the this one pizza. And he, th- and he thought that's strange for five guys to deliver one pizza. Takes it inside, sits it on the table, and says, I've got a bad feeling about this. No one else eats the pizza, according to Michael Jordan, except him. And he says he eats the whole pizza by himself. At around 2, 2.30 in the morning, he's throwing up. This is according to Tim Grover, Michael Jordan, and uh, this other guy, his, his personal assistant and best friend that was supposedly there. Uh, anyway, so on and on and on. They claim it was food poisoning, not the flu. Which I don't understand why Why they... First of all, I don't believe it. There's so many logistic things in the way. You're telling me there was only one pizza shop open at that late at night. Or that it wasn't even that late at night. It was like 10, 11 p.m. Maybe, maybe, maybe in 1998, maybe that was the case. So I'll, I'll give a pass on that. But you're telling me that at a moment's notice... Let's, let's say this pizza shop fields this call. Let's even say somehow they do find out that this pizza is destined for Michael Jordan. How, first, how do they know that it's for Michael Jordan? If Tim Grover's ordering the pizza, doesn't he just say it's for Tim Grover? You're, not t- you're telling me that they paid for it with Michael Jordan's visa and, and that the, they asked for the security code and the security code was MJ forever? Come on. How did they? So that's my first number one problem. How did they know it was a pizza was for Michael Jordan? My second problem is even if they had known for sure that this was going to Michael Jordan, did they happen to have a a vial of poison of E. coli of salmonella that they just had at the ready for in case one day Michael Jordan ordered a pizza? And they wanted to get one over on the Chicago Bulls and give the Jazz an advantage. They just sprinkle a little bit of that. And th- so that's the second problem. Let's say they, A, knew it was for Michael Jordan. B, had a prepared uh, vial of some kind of poison. Okay, here's problem C. Or, or three, whichever you'd like to go. ABCs or one, two, threes. How did they know how, did they know how much poison to sprinkle onto that pizza? How did they know that they weren't going to kill him? How did they know that uh, if they just, oh, well, if we leave this, uh, if we if we lick this one piece of pepperoni, uh, by, and Tommy's got the flu, let's have Tommy lick the one piece of pepperoni and put it on there, or lick, lick all the pieces of pepperoni. How did they know that was going to do anything? This You would have to have an absolute food mad scientist working with uh, chemicals, mixing them into little uh, beakers and vials, pouring on just the right amount, and and sending it off to Michael Jordan. Now, it's 100% possible that an accidental food poisoning took place, and that would I would totally buy that as being real. Uh, I've had food poisoning. Uh, I'm sure most of you have had food poisoning. It's horrendous. It's awful. It's terrible. It, it simulates the flu, but it's like no flu you've ever had before. Where have we heard these words before lately? But anyway, it really it is terrible. Things are coming out of every way, every direction, all at once for days on end. It's ridiculous what food poisoning does to the body. 
Go ahead. If you want to somehow think that that builds up the story of Michael Jordan more, fine. Go ahead and do that. Say it was food poisoning, but don't say it was on purpose. Don't don't make up some claim that five guys showed up to the pizza to the room with the pizza, snickering and and uh, you know elbowing each other. <laughs> We're gonna poison Michael Jordan. Don't throw any. Don't throw a poor pizza shop under the bus. And that's another uh, exa- another reason why I don't believe the story is Michael Jordan has taken his time methodically uh, attacking each and every person throughout his journey during this docu-series. And then finally on this one time, he reserves and holds back on a name, doesn't give us a name of the pizza shop. Come on, get out of here with that. So he was now, uh, but, and then the other thing is... Let's say he did fly off to Vegas and go on an all-night bender and, and was gambling and drinking and smoking and doing heaven knows what else. Gets back, isn't feeling too hot, and decides that uh, he's sick. Uh, not that doesn't decide, but he gets sick that way. And he goes out and performs and it's the flu game. And some people say it was the hungover game or whatever. I don't see how any of this detracts from the performance that he put forward in that game. Whether it was food poisoning, the flu, or he was hungover, he still accomplished 30-something points in that game, and was it was a heroic performance as far as sports performances go. So I don't understand why anyone uses one or the other of those scenarios to downplay what Michael Jordan did in that game. It was still terrific. It was still historical. It was still amazing. It was still legendary. I just don't understand why they have to make up this story about some pizza shop purposefully poisoning Michael Jordan as the that is such it's it's literally the the young and the restless would laugh that away in the writers room that's how ridiculous and over the top it is so there's my first problem is the the flu game becoming the food poisoning game if it were food poisoning fine but don't don't pretend like somehow if that Utah fans were trying to give their team an advantage how did they know it was for him? Anyway, I already, I already went over it. Uh, th- as we look back on this uh, docu-series, it's clear that there were three goals for the Michael Jordan PR machine team. Errors, grievances against everybody on his hit list. You saw that time and time again, with uh, whether it be Isaiah Thomas or Jerry Krause or even teammate Scottie Pippen. Everybody that Michael Jordan ever had a problem with or... Would have had a problem with Michael Jordan. He made them all out to look like Michael Jordan was better than them in this docuseries. So hit list, goal number one, check. Put a check mark next to every one of his enemies there. Goal number two, go out and prove once and for all that he is the greatest of all time. Shut up the people like me who think it's LeBron James who have done more with less. Help uh, and that sort of thing. And to that end, ESPN conducted a survey recently. And I dare say that the Michael Jordan PR team hit again on goal number two for this docuseries because 79% of the 600 respondents, uh, so uh, what I should say is there's a, a poll put out by ESPN and it found that 73% rather of NBA fans believe Michael Jordan is the superior player overall, comparing him to LeBron James. Uh, and... There were 17 questions comparing him to James by both metrics on and off the court, and he swept every single one of them in landslide fashion. Uh, and I'm just real quick: better sneaker, better sneaker for ball, pick up, pick for game-winning shot, 
come through in the clutch. Spectacular to watch play. Better player overall. NBA was better all around then. Win one-on-one to 21 against the other. Top pick to start a team. Better offensive player. Better look. Have a drink with. Choose as a teammate. Positive impact off the court. Better defensive player. Better passer. Trust to pass you the ball. He landslid. Michael or LeBron James in every one of those 79, 77, 76, 74, 67, 66, 62, 59, 59, 57 just demolished him. 73% say Michael Jordan is the better player than LeBron James, according to the 600 respondents to this ESPN survey. Goal one, hit list, check. Goal two, greatest of all time, check. This docuseries accomplished those. And the third goal, maybe the most important goal. Uh, to the Jordan uh, people is to uphold, uplift, and give a booster to an already massively successful brand, the Jordan brand. And uh, Jordan sales, Jordan brand sales, by the way, up 40% since the uh, docuseries came out. 40%. And climbing, and that was two weeks ago. I'll bet it's I'll bet it's closer to fifty something percent now that their their uh, sales are up. So check the, the check off the list to the goals that this docu series had. Hit list. Take care of his enemies. Check. Make sure everyone thinks he's still the greatest player of all time. Check. Line his pockets with even more dollar bills. Check. The last dance documentary was entertainment. It was not journalism, and it was a PR commercial machine, and it achieved all of its goals. Did I enjoy myself watching it? I sure did. But that's because I'm a basketball fan. If you were just a casual person out there, or if you were a journalist looking at this from a journalistic standpoint, I don't know how you can look at this and go, this was a fair, balanced, and equal presentation of a Michael Jordan career. It was not. It was slanted. But it was still a great documentary, and it should win some prizes. Honestly, I think it should. It was great, terrific work. And director Jason Hare, great job getting Michael Jordan to tell everyone how great he is. Whew, what a what a tough job that was. What a tough gig it was for Jason Hare to get Michael Jordan to open up and tell everyone just how great he is. Okay. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, no, one more thing. The push-off or the nudge. Fine. Let, let's boil it down and say... That Michael Jordan happened to just nudge uh, Brian Russell. And yes, there were camera angles and things shown that some people claim they had never seen before. I've seen all these angles before, okay? And yeah, I'm a little I'm a little subjective on this because I was a jazz fan. But even, it, even though it is true that Brian Russell's energy was taking him to Michael Jordan's right, it is also true that Michael Jordan illegally put his hand on Brian Russell's body. And that cannot be denied, as the rule states in the NBA uh, rule book about an offensive foul. Here's what it says about a dribbling offensive player in an offensive foul. If a dribbler has sufficient space to have his head and shoulders in advance of his defender, the responsibility for illegal contact is on the defender. So which is it? Did Michael Jordan have his head and shoulders in advance of Brian Russell, or had Brian Russell uh, gravitated so far past Michael Jordan's right that Jordan had the advantage going left? Which is it? You can't have both. If it's that he was ahead of uh, Brian Russell, then the contact came because of Brian Russell. He's the defender. The foul would have been on Brian Russell. But you see in the video evidence that Brian Russell was ahead of 
of Michael Jordan going to the right. Michael Jordan then came back left to get away from Brian Russell and gave him a little nudge on the tuchus to keep him going in that direction. Was it a shove? No. Is it, a, is it best characterized or, cat, or, or called as a push-off? Probably not. But is it illegal contact by the offensive player? According to the rules of the NBA, then and now, yes. Illegal contact made by the dribbling player. That's an offensive foul. Were they ever going to call that? No. Does it do any of us any good to cry over it? No. But it's still fun to cry over it. So there you go. The last dance in the books. And I don't want to hear another thing about Michael Jordan as long as I live. All right. Let's get to stop number two on a military Monday here on the EP podcast. It still appears Major League Baseball has that goal of opening things up uh, the first couple weeks of July. They've uh, proposed how they're going to keep everyone safe during this time, and that proposal is now resting with the Players Association. I wanted to go down some of the rules that Major League Baseball has put in place or is proposing to put in place to keep everyone safe and just how ridiculous of a situation this is going to be if every one of these is signed off and passed, signed off on and passed by the players. If this happens to be the case, it's almost as though it's not worth it. It is worth it. I'm saying it's almost as though it's not worth it because here's what the rules are. Players are no longer allowed to go to restaurants. No mascots allowed at the stadium. No high fives or exchange of any kind. No bat boys or girls. No spitting. No water jugs. No saunas. No pools. No cryotherapy chambers. You cannot hit batting practice indoors. You must wear batting gloves. The batting practice uh, pitcher must wear a mask. Dugout phones will be disinfected after every use. No longer touching your face to give signs and no licking your fingers. You have to hold your team meetings outdoors and be spread apart. The next day's starting pitcher cannot be in the dugout. Fielders must stay away from base runners. Advantage base runners there. No approaching umpires or players as a coach. No interacting with the opponent. Managers or coaches must be masked up in the dugout. In fact, everyone must wear masks and personal protection equipment while traveling or while in the dugout. No scoreboard video, but music will be allowed. The ball will be thrown away after it's touched by multiple players and no throwing it around the horn. Uh, you have to, the, the people that rub the mud on the balls before the game have to wear rubber gloves. You must always be masked unless on the field playing. Lockers must be six feet apart or outdoors. No showering in the clubhouse. You must arrive to the ballpark in uniform. No use of public transportation of any kind. Private airplanes or airports must be used. You must conduct TSA at the ballpark, not at the airport. Catering on the flights will be limited. You must book your hotels on the floor, lower floor levels so you can use stairs and have private entrances, exits, and check-in stations. Six staggered bus trips will go from the hotel to the ballpark on game day. Self-examination of your temperature each morning, twice. You'll be checked again at the ballpark. Also, multiple fluid swabs will be taken from you, and those results will be given to us from the Sports Medicine Research and Testing Laboratory in Salt Lake City within 24 hours, traveling family included. And then here's what they say. Anyone with a temperature of 100 or higher who exhibits COVID-19 symptoms or has come in contact with someone confirmed to be infected will be subject to rapid testing at a nearby site. A person cannot rejoin the team until the testing is negative 
uh, taken at least 24 hours apart twice. The person also must not exhibit symptoms or COVID-19, and the team physician and MLB medical staff must determine the person is not at risk. If an individual is exposed to a person with an infection, that person must show no signs of disease, be tested daily for at least seven consecutive days, and undergo more frequent temperature checks. The person also must wear a mask at all times except while on the field. Each spring training and regular season ballpark must have dedicated testing and isolation areas. MLB also will offer testing of people who live in the same household as covered individuals and to healthcare workers or first responders in big league cities. And most tests will take saliva, but there may be oral or nasal swabs. Blood samples will be collected less frequently for serology testing used to detect antibodies. If every one of those things is checked off and cleared, we're going to have a baseball season. I got news for you. We're going to have a baseball season. These things are put out there in black and white so that they can cover their butt. But it's not going to be as ridiculous as these things make it out to sound. It's just not. They're going to play baseball. I've been watching the Korean uh, baseball organization. The umpires wear masks. It's not a big deal. There's no one in the stands. There's going to be a baseball season. Will someone pop positive during the season? Most likely. It's going to happen. People are going to get continue to get COVID-19. Hopefully we are now better prepared as a country to respond and save lives and protect everyone else that is not infected and keep the season and every everything else going. Uh, but sports, I think, is a very important uh, vessel for this country and the world, frankly, to get out of this whole COVID mess uh, together on. So it's extensive. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. It's necessary in our time of living to have these uh, uh, protections in place so that we can continue uh, a somewhat normal life. So there you go. Major League Baseball's pandemic uh, ideas and rules there. Uh, we'll see what happens come July. Couple news and notes out of the Utah Jazz world. Bad news today. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and others have reported that Boyan Bogdanovich will miss the remainder of the season whenever or however that takes place. He'll have season-ending wrist surgery. David Locke reported on Twitter that Boyan had been fighting that wrist injury most of the season and was still shooting 41% from three, uh, and uh, a pretty incredible feat there. But it's anticipated that Boyan, according to Woj's report, will be back and ready for next season whenever that takes place. And look, if this is going to, if, if they, if and when they finish this season, it's going to be a truncated finish anyway. Why not get this thing done now and be ready for a full season next year? It's tough, it sucks, it's bad luck, but it has to happen. And then also, Vice President of Player Personnel, 19-year member of the organization, I believe, Walt Perrin, according to Sham Sharania, will be leaving the Jazz to be assistant general manager of the New York Knicks under Leon Rose. That's a loss for us in the media. He's an incredible asset during uh, workouts for the draft and lead-in and scouting trips and all that sort of thing. Walt Perrin's a wonderful man, a good person, a great interview, and uh, a hard-working, uh, brilliant basketball mind. The Jazz will have to find a replacement. We'll have to find a way to go on. Uh, Walt Perrin, important to this organization, and I wish him a congratulations and best of wishes as he heads to uh, the New York Knicks organization.
Today's Military Monday moment comes to us courtesy of Scott O'Grady. You probably know him as the uh, for his ordeal that he went through when his plane was shot down over Bosnia, uh, and uh, he had to escape enemy clutches for six days on the run before being rescued. Uh, the movie Behind Enemy Lines was extremely loosely based on O'Grady's ordeals. But I wanted to share this uh, speech from O'Grady, who has made a career now out of uh, public speaking and serving on different charitable boards around the country. He uh, takes his ordeal, he's taken his ordeal, and made it into a, a moment of inspiration for the rest of us. Here's just a couple minutes from Scott O'Grady of the uh, United States Air Force. Well, I'm Scott O'Grady and I've been asked to come and share with you an experience that I had when I was an F-16 fighter pilot and I was flying peacekeeping missions for a uh, United Nations resolution of a no-fly zone over the skies of Bosnia where an embroiled civil war was occurring and there I was shot down and I spent six days evading and surviving in enemy territory to where I was finally rescued in a daylight rescue. Have you ever had a bad day? Well, this ended up being uh, a day that turned into six days of fighting for my life. And I want to share that story of survival with you. But beyond just trying to entertain you right now with an adventure story, let me do something more important. Let me bring you into that experience. Let me share with you what I was going through mentally and emotionally and physically and spiritually when death did come and knock at my door more than once. But let me also explain to you that during this trial, I had inspiration. And the inspiration that carried me through this difficulty came through the things I cherished the most in life. It came through the love I have for God, the love I have for my family, and the love I have for my country. See, I look at my entire combat experience through my faith. While flying that F-16 over war-torn Bosnia, unexpectedly, a Soviet surface-to-air missile impacts my aircraft 10 feet behind my seat. My airplane explodes around me. I'm being burned before I can even eject out of the aircraft. I ejected over five miles above the earth at equivalent airspeed of around 500 miles per hour. I had a parachute descent to last up to nearly half an hour before I even hit the ground. The enemy is ready there to capture me immediately. I'm now hunted down in a country where I don't even have the right to live. For six days, I'm desperately trying to talk to somebody on the radio. Finally, friendly forces hear me. The United States Marines came down in the helicopters. They picked me up as we're flying out. We're being shot at by surface air missiles, anti-aircraft artillery, small arms fire. And that ended up actually being the most positive six days I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and I don't want to recommend a near-death experience to any of you. But the reason why it was such a positive experience in my life was solely because of my faith. I was able to explore that relationship I have with God in-depthly like never before. My weaknesses and my strengths were completely exposed and out on the table. That's it for a Military Monday. Come back for a top 10 Tuesday tomorrow right here on the EP Podcast. I'm Austin Horton. I'll see you tomorrow. And until then, thank you for joining me. And as always, please be good to each other. Time now for the laugh of the day. <laughs> Who's your all-time favorite? All-time favorite? Yeah. Michael Jordan. Michael, Michael Jordan. Jordan. And Along the way, you've run, in, you've run into Michael Jordan. I've ran into Mike a couple times. Mike, Mike still might be mad at me. True Why? story. Uh, yo, listen. <laughs>
<laughs> I, I pissed Mike off. Um, what did you do? He had, he had an event. Mike had a charity event in Las Vegas. They called me. They wanted me to host the event, right? Uh -huh. So I get there to host the event, and it's like it's something where they're like auctioning things, and you know, it's a real tight crowd. Like it's Rich they're very, people. very bougie. Right. Everybody's neck was really straight. Right. Right. So I get up there, and I'm like, hey man, loosen up, relax, man. You had to have a good time. So as I'm saying stuff, I, I lock eyes with Mike. He's in the front row, and I start teasing him. I was like, man, what age do you get to where it's okay to wear your pants that high and nobody addresses it? I was like, I, was like, yeah. I said, nobody? Y'all telling me I'm the only one to think Mike's is, is past the legal limit for waste? Was like, but it was, like, it was like fun jokes. And I said, uh, oh, no. I, he had like the little square mustache at yeah. the time. Yeah. And I was like, what, what, is, what is that? I, was like, I, said, I said, it looks like a thumbprint. Like, you just smell something. And, and like nobody's laughing, like they got to a point where nobody's laughing, right? Really? I mean, no, no, no. It's, it, no, he's like he's looking like straight. He's he's actually giving me a look like you gonna keep on going, like you ain't gonna stop. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I don't care. I'm having a good time. I was laughing. I may or may not have been drunk at the time. Uh -huh. uh, so, so I remember I hit him with like one more, and nobody said nothing. So I'm like, whatever. Oh, it gets boy. over, and I see him. I'm like, what up, Mike? Hey, and he shook my hand and he squeezed it real hard and he was like, you have a good day. Oh, really? Yeah. I ain't seen him since. Oh, no, oh, no. Wow. He's still my favorite player, though. Yeah. <laughs> He's still my favorite player. If I see him again, I'm going to ask him about it. I'm like, you better lose the two, Mike. <laughs> lose the two, man. It seems like when a guy has a Hitler mustache, his friend should intervene. Yeah, somebody... <laughs> I'm big on telling people things that make me uncomfortable. If, I, if, I, if there's something that you're doing or something about your appearance that makes me uncomfortable, I'm gonna address it. Right. Mike's pants made me uncomfortable. <laughs> they were like right here. And it, it was like a dress pant. It wasn't like a jean. It was like a slack. Who is a slack? Right here. Michael like, Jordan, that too. <laughs>